I remember years ago I was pastoring in another place and uh, a couple who were visiting, they came up after the service and they made reference. I don't know if it was to my sermon or to a song that we sang or something. Um, and, and they said, you know, are, are you comfortable talking about the blood of Jesus? And um, this partic- these particular people, they said, you know, I think that some people wouldn't understand that. You know, you talking about blood and it could cause offense. And my response to them was, I don't think they liked my response to them very well. Um, I said to them, well, you know, there was a point in Jesus' ministry where he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part for me. And the scripture says that people were offended and they stopped following him. Um, And those folks never came back. Um, I don't know why, um, but I remember that experience vividly. And I remember thinking to myself, that uh, we can never stop talking about the blood of Jesus because um, of its redemptive quality and just because of its rich theology and everything that Scripture says about what Jesus' blood, his spilled blood on the cross does for us. Thank you so much, uh, worship ministry, Andy, choir, everyone, for that great, great song. Uh, So, ladies, I have a question for you. I have a question for you ladies. I'm not going to ask the men these, this question because they won't, they won't admit it. But ladies, I want to ask you, do you recall the last time that you were lost? Now, I, again, I ask you that because men don't want to confess whenever they were lost. They have no recollection of ever being lost. And if they did, then they would never confess to ever, ever have, have been lost before. And I started thinking about that and I indicted myself. And I thought, you know what? I don't think I ever remember ever being lost before either. And, um, and then I recalled a time in 2010, about, about uh, 11 years ago in 2010, I was pastoring a church in North Carolina and was on my way to visit a church in Manchester, Tennessee. It was late at night. And that was, of course, was a church that ended up pastoring in Manchester for six years. And We were driving down I-40, it was late at night, and I was desperate to take a shortcut. This was before I had a smartphone, before we had any kind of GPS or anything like that. So we pulled over in Crossville, and I went into a gas station, and I got a map. Y'all remember those days, whenever you actually looked at a map? Uh, to get directions, and uh, I was too cheap to buy the map, so I just opened up the map in the quick stop, and I looked, and I said, oh, well, here's a highway that goes uh, south of where we are right now in Crossville that kind of cuts through into this little town called Sparta, and we can pick up 111 from there. Bad mistake. I don't know if you have ever traveled that road before, and I, I tried to actually look on a map and figure out which road it was. Some of you will come, at, uh, come up to me after the service and will tell me. It was either Highway 70 or Highway 101. It was mountainous. You couldn't go more than like 20 miles an hour. The road went like this, and it went like that. And I mean, it took us at least an hour and a half uh, to try to take this shortcut that I thought that I was going to find, going, connecting Crossville uh, to Sparta. Bad mistake. It took us on a long journey and not a pleasant one. Today, we're going to begin a long journey together. We're going to begin a long spiritual journey together through the book of Romans. 
And during the summer, we're going to look at some of the most incredible passages that the Bible has to offer in Romans. We're going to see a lot of things along our journey. We're going to talk about a lot of topics as we make our way through the book of Romans. But the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to get lost. Because this is how every spiritual journey begins. Every spiritual journey begins with a sense of and a feeling of and an awareness of lostness. You don't get saved unless you first realize that you're lost. People typically don't turn to God until they come to a point to where they feel helplessly and hopelessly lost. And so we're going to spend some time talking about uh, this, this state of lostness that people... So either you have found yourself in a state of lostness and been saved, or you are feeling like you are in a state of lostness and perhaps you're about to get saved, or maybe you need to come to an awareness of your lostness. But we're going to talk about this. Lost is a spiritually descriptive term. And basically what we mean when we talk about someone or people being lost, what we're speaking about is we are speaking about a spiritual condition of someone, and this, maybe this describes some of you here today, a spiritual condition of someone who has not yet found a relationship with Jesus and they are helplessly and hopelessly separated from God. Someone in this position, spiritually, is like a toddler that is wandering through the Sahara Desert. And they're looking for a Savior. They need a rescuer. They need someone to intervene into their life and do something that they cannot do for themselves. This is the spiritual condition that describes everyone that has not found a personal relationship with Jesus. Now some people object to this term. Some people say that to talk about people who aren't disciples of Jesus as being lost, they see this as pejorative. They see this as negative. They see this as something that, that, that might be offensive to people. But the problem with this is that Jesus used this term to describe the spiritual condition of people that don't have a relationship with God. Jesus talked about lost sheep that need to be found. He talked about lost coins, the parable of the lost coin. Remember the lady who swept the house looking for that one coin that was lost. Jesus also told the parable of the lost son. You and I might would call him the prodigal son. Jesus' stated purpose was that he wanted to find people just like this. He says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, the first two and a half chapters of Romans explains this spiritual lostness. And the spiritual lostness that people are in if they don't know Christ. The state of the world was in spiritual lostness before Jesus came and died upon a cross. And this is the state of people today that don't know Jesus. Let me give you a little, a little prequel to where we're going over the next, uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, we have some upcoming messages. This just gives you kind of a, kind of a general outline of where we're going. Uh, I do want to draw your attention, parents, I do want to draw your attention to this third sermon that's coming up. This is going to be about three weeks from now in Romans chapter 1. It's a sermon entitled Lost in Dishonorable Passions. It's going to take place on June the 6th. 
I encourage you to read that passage beforehand. And parents, you just decide uh, for yourself if you want your children to be in the worship service or not. My opinion is if a child is old enough to read the Bible, they're old enough uh, to read all of the Bible and hear passages like this explained. It won't be explicit, it won't be inappropriate, uh, but you choose for yourself. Now, after we, uh, after we have this series, Lost, then we're going to get to a lot more of the good news. I'm going to have another series in Romans entitled Justified. Everything that God has done to save us. And then after that, I'm going to have a series entitled Sanctified, and during the Sanctified series, we're going to look at all the practical things, the, um, the, things that, the, the verses and passages in Romans that we're normally drawn to um, uh, is, is going to be in that series. But today we're going to look at two short verses, two short verses that are probably going to make for a very long sermon, hopefully not, two short verses that are just completely filled with so much good doctrine about the gospel. In fact, in these two short verses, we find basically the theme of the entire book of Romans. The, entire, the theme of the, of, of the entire series of Lost, the theme of the entire series that I'm going to do coming up called uh, Sanctified, and then the one uh, Justified, and then Sanctified. The theme of the whole book of Romans really can be found in these first two introductory verses. And I invite you to stand with me as we read together Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through verse 17. Two very short but potent verses. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and verse 17. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of Christians in Rome that he had never met. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith Lord today we stand on the authority of your word God, we are not authorized to teach and to preach or to believe or to affirm any truth that you have not given us in your word. And today, I pray that you would be with us, Lord, as we, we explore the most important truth, the central message of the book of Romans and of the whole Bible and of everything that you have to say to mankind. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today as we explore the importance of the gospel message. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, today I want to talk to you briefly about the gospel. Not necessarily all the details about the gospel, but specifically what the Apostle Paul talks about in some important parts of the gospel and some things that we really need to understand about the gospel. We believe as Christians that the gospel provides all solution with any lostness, that the gospel provides the answer to every question, that the gospel is the central message that we have believed, the gospel is the central message of the church, the central purpose 
by which we live. The gospel literally means good news. The gospel summarizes the message of the entire Bible. The gospel describes, is, is, as, as the message of the gospel, the word gospel, it describes the focus of every Bible story. It is the central point of every passage. All of the commandments that we see in Scripture, they circumnavigate around the gospel. Every act of God recorded in Scripture, everything that God has done, either points to or demonstrates or explains the gospel message. The gospel message is the main point that God wants emphasized with mankind. There is no other message. There is no greater message. I would even say it is the exclusive message that forms the basis of every message that God has to say to people. And the gospel message simply explained is this. Mankind was spiritually lost in sin and headed towards eternal death in hell. And there was nothing that he could do about it. But God in his grace sent Jesus to save us and to pay our sin debt by dying on a cross. Jesus was raised from the dead after three days, and he offers new birth and eternal life to anyone who receives him in faith. Basically, all that says is that mankind was lost until God sent Jesus and now there is an opportunity for us to be found, for us to be saved. And there absolutely is no other way for a person to be saved. Aside from an acknowledgement of lostness, embracing the reality of who Jesus is, and then believing and living in faith in Him. There simply is no other way. There is no other spiritual message. Listen. There is no other spiritual message that God has for you. There, there, there simply is nothing else. And you might would say, well, what about my marriage? Or what about my finances? Or what about the ailments that I have with my body? What about the questions that I have about creationism? What about these questions of morality? What about all the practical things about how I live my life? What about all the other questions that I have about God? What about what are angels or what are demons or what does speaking in tongues mean? Or what is all this and all that? I mean, all these questions that we have and we ask the Lord, give us a message, give us a sign. Tell me what to do. What's your will? We have all these questions, whether they be biblical, theological, or practical, and we want God to communicate with us. Listen, the Lord has nothing to say that is apart from the central message of all of Scripture. This is it. And listen, if this is not good enough, if this doesn't touch your heart, then let me tell you something. There's literally nothing else God can say that will make any change or any lasting difference in your life until you first believe this message and embrace it and then learn how to apply this message to every area of your life. This is what God wants you to know. And the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says that he is not ashamed of this message. He talks about the gospel. This is a bold gospel that we have. 
He says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would anyone be ashamed of the gospel, you might ask? That message that I put upon the screen that basically summarizes the, 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 the all of Scripture and the work of Jesus and what it means for Why would anyone be ashamed of the gospel? Well, I, I, I can tell you, this is because the world is hostile to the gospel. The world hates the gospel. This is simply a reality. They hated Jesus whenever he, was, when he spoke about the kingdom. They hated the apostles whenever they went and preached the gospel. All throughout the history of man, the gospel has been opposed. Now please, don't, don't mishear me. Religion is not offensive. Every person on the face of the earth, almost every person on the face of the earth embraces some type of religion, whether it be Christianity or something else. But the world is hostile to this. The world is hostile to the gospel because the gospel is intolerable to them. Because the gospel basically communicates that we're lost. The gospel basically communicates that without Christ, there are massive numbers of people who have lived and who have died that are now spending eternity in a place called hell. This is intolerable to people. That there are people that are currently alive, that even though they embrace religion, and even though they're good, moral, sane people, it is intolerable for us to say that those people are lost, and they're headed to a place of eternal damnation called hell. This is intolerable to the world. The gospel also is opposed by the world because it's offensive. The gospel is, is, it requires us to unashamedly say that there is an exclusive gospel that we preach, that there is no other way to be saved, that the message of the gospel that the Lord has for us is the only message that can save, that there is no other way. And so the world is hostile to this because it's offensive. The world is hostile to the gospel because it's foolishness to them. They simply don't understand a truth that leads us to behave in a manner and define the world in a manner that is different from how the world does. The gospel redefines morality. The gospel gives us an explanation of the world's beginnings that goes against science. The gospel gives us an explanation for man's destiny, heaven or hell, that is offensive. And it requires behavior of us that makes us look different than everyone. And so people are hostile to the gospel also because the gospel is confusing. That somehow works plays no part in being saved. People don't understand this. Faith is confusing. People understand that they, they, they work for something and get paid for a wage or they're entitled to something so they don't have to work for it so that they get paid for a wage. They can the world can understand those things. But something that is free, something that is given to us in faith, it's confusing to people. And because it is confusing and foolish and offensive and intolerable to the world, there is this temptation because the world is hostile to the gospel for us to be ashamed. But Jesus said that he warned us, he said, if you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father who is in heaven. 
We are called to a bold gospel because we also are called to understand the power of the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. The power of God. The gospel is like dynamite. The gospel is a nuclear blast among the firecrackers of the world's religion. The gospel contains power, but not worldly power. The gospel doesn't contain a financial power or a positional power or a political power. The scripture says that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, that they have divine power for demolishing strongholds. The gospel has a different type of power. The gospel doesn't have a physical power per per se. You see, in physics, Basically, power is defined as uh, the amount of energy transferred per unit of time. I had to look that up. And it's probably not a very good definition. It kind of sounds good, though. The amount of energy transferred per unit of time. I like a simpler definition of power. The ability to do work. That's what power is. It's the ability to do work and how much work can be done quickly and what is actually doing that work. Some of you have powerful muscles. You could take a shovel and you could dig a ditch a lot faster than a skinny guy like me. Some of you have more powerful automobiles or maybe you have have a, 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 a power financially. This is not the type of power that the gospel has. That worldly power is the power to, to propel a boat through the water or a car upon the road or a spaceship into the atmosphere. We understand that type of power. That's not the type of power that the gospel wields. The gospel possesses a power. Listen, the gospel possesses a power to advance a human being in a spiritual direction. In a spiritual direction. The gospel has the power to accomplish spiritual purposes that no human power can accomplish. And Paul describes it in one word. He says salvation. The gospel has the power to save. There is no power to be wielded anywhere in this universe of human origin that can save a soul. You cannot find it anywhere in a physical way. Only the gospel has the power to move a soul in a spiritual direction where that person can be saved. The gospel has a saving power. It is a saving gospel. And this is what we ultimately need from God. We need to be saved. We don't need to just be helped. You know, there's a, big, there's a big difference between those two. A lot of the times we want God to help us. Lord, use your divine power to help me. I'm sick, or I'm broke, or I'm sad, or I'm depressed, or, 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 or something like that. Lord, I want you to use your divine power to help me. And I, I do believe that God does that. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But listen, folks, we don't... We don't, just, we don't just need to be helped. We need to be saved. There is an eternal destiny, an eternal hell that awaits 
all mankind outside of Christ. I don't need to just be helped in this life if that's my eternal destiny. I need to be saved from that. I need to be rescued from that. And only the power of the gospel can do that. That's the only solution for that. See, the gospel is a saving gospel. And here's the great news. Here is the good news within the good news is that the gospel is an inclusive gospel. It's an inclusive gospel. By the way, the word inclusive has been hijacked in another arena. And of course, I'm not talking about that type of inclusion. I'm talking about the type of inclusion where everybody can be included in Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to who? To everyone. To everyone who does what? To everyone who believes. This gospel and this power and this salvation is for everyone. Who can be saved? Anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved. You may think I'm beyond saving. No, you're not. As a matter of fact, the person that wrote this, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote this, he got his beginnings in Scripture by seeing a violent death on a man named Stephen who was gracious and kind, who prayed, for, who prayed for forgiveness over the people that were stoning him and killing them. And the Apostle Paul looked over his dead body and smiled in approval. The Scripture doesn't say he smiled. The Scripture says he approved. He had a smile in his heart. He approved in his heart over the stoning and the execution of this man. And that set him on a path to go arrest as many Christians as he could. That set him on a path to go hunt down, even in other countries, and track down, the Bible said, men and women, and drag them off and put them in prison. And whenever they were executed, he was in favor of it. That's the person who is saying that anyone, that everyone can be saved. If he can be saved, you can be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter what you are currently doing. The Bible says that you absolutely can be saved. You see, this inclusive gospel also has an exclusive element to it. I love this part. The, there's this, this phrase, everyone who believes, is both general and specific. It's both inclusive as well as particular. It means that anyone and everyone can be saved, but there's only a few people that will be saved. And those people are not defined by their skin color. They are not defined by their country of origin in which they were born. They are not defined by their financial status. They're not defined by what language they speak or what time period in which they were born. They are not defined by how much or how little sin has been or is in their life. They are defined by one characteristic. This everyone, this all-inclusive gospel, they are defined by one characteristic, and that is belief. They believe in and they have faith in Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't matter your culture. It doesn't, it doesn't matter the language you speak. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Anyone can be saved. This is not, this is not true of the other world religions. This is not true of the other world religions. Other world religions are connected to culture. 
If you want to believe in their God, then you have to adapt yourself to their culture. The people who want to worship those false gods have to culturally become like all of the people in that culture. That's not true for Christianity. Christianity retrofits to any culture. We see people of all different races, of all different backgrounds, of all different countries of origin, from all time periods, all knowing and loving and worshiping Jesus. And when we get to heaven, we will all look different. The matter of fact, I love the image in Revelation that says, um, you know, he looked and he saw before the throne people of every nation, every tribe, every people, and every tongue. People of diversity were all included in Christ because they believed in Jesus. Belief is the primer that ignites the power of the gospel in your life. And I love this last part, and then I'll be done. The gospel is a righteous, revealing gospel. This is what happens in your life. If you, if you believe the message, if you get saved, and power comes into your life and into your heart, this is what is seen in your life. The Apostle Paul says, for in, the righteous, for in it, talking about the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You see the word revealed, it means to uncover. This is what is uncovered in your life. This is, and, 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 and don't get me wrong, it's not like it was there and the gospel uncovered it. It means that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is uncovered and then it is revealed in your life. It's seen in your life. It happens in your life as a result of receiving and believing the gospel. In other words, something changes. In the book of Romans, we're going to talk a lot about the righteousness of God. So I, I digress for right, for right now, because the, the book of Romans talks about this a lot. We're going to spend a lot of time on what it means to be righteous, what it means to be declared righteous by God, what it means for God to say, you are not guilty. You are no longer guilty. And that is the pronouncement that God makes over your life. Whenever you believe the gospel and you receive Jesus, the Bible says, not guilty. Guilty. So righteousness is a pronouncement that God makes over you. But righteousness also is a fruit that's seen inside of you. The righteousness of God overflows from inside you. The Bible calls it an imputed righteousness, a righteousness that the Lord gives you, a righteousness of God where, where it mirrors what Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is imperfect. Not that you're going to be perfect, but there's going to be a perfection that's going to be seen in. It doesn't mean a flawlessness. It means a blamelessness that the Lord is going to move your life towards to where you're going to reach and you're, uh, you're going uh, uh, to walk in the requirements of God. So it is a righteousness revealed gospel. Nothing else does this. Nothing else accomplishes this in the life of, of a person except for the gospel. My closing question to you, do you ever feel a sense of lostness? Do you ever feel a sense of lostness? And what I mean by that, I mean, I, what I mean by that is, is that sometimes a spiritual descriptor that describes where you feel like you are with God. Not necessarily your experience in this world, because I, I feel that way all the time. I feel lost all the time. When I'm trying to do something or accomplish something or know something, or I, 
I experience loss. Well, we, we all experience a, a, a sense of physical, situational lostness at times. It's not, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being lost between Crossville and Sparta. I'm not, I'm not talking about being lost and I don't know what job I'm going to have next or what degree I'm going to get from college or what I'm going to do as a career. I'm not, I'm not talking about that type of lostness. I'm talking about the type of lostness where you feel absolute no connection to God whatsoever. Do you ever feel that sense of lostness? I wonder if you would be bold today and embrace the gospel. Do you have power? Do you have power in your life? And it, not physical power, but do you have the power of God residing in you that is moving you towards godliness? Have you been saved by the gospel? Not religion. Have you been saved by the gospel? Are you included in Christ? Is the righteousness of God revealed in you? Listen, I've got great news for you today. The scripture makes it so simple. This, this righteousness of God, this inclusion this bold gospel, the power, the saving power of this gospel. It's so simple the way that it can come into your life. You just call upon the name of Jesus. You just say, Lord, save me. And for the rest of you, I, I, don't, I don't know where you might be.